ancient uh, story goes that Alexander the Great, uh, the great Greek Macedonian king, uh, was once visiting Corinth. And while there, he met the philosopher Diogenes. And when he saw Diogenes, he saw that the philosopher was looking intently at a pile of human bones. And Alexander, understandably, uh, asked him what he was doing. And Diogenes replied, I am looking for the bones of your father, King Philip, king of Macedonia. And yet, I can't seem to distinguish them from the bones of a simple slave. Now, Diogenes' point was simple. Uh, Human beings, whether great or small, rich or poor, uh, intimidating or weak, all suffer from the same fundamental deficiency. Uh, Our lives are fleeting. We all end in the grave, great or small. And when you look at bones, you can't distinguish the bones of a king from the bones of a slave. And in many ways, that's one of the chief lessons from this vision which Daniel is given. Uh, You could say that the theme, or one of the themes of this vision, is the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8 which reads, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Kings come. And kings go, queens come and queens go. The rulers of this world last for a time and they disappear like the wind. And that is what we are drawn or what our attention is drawn to in this vision. Did you notice how it started? It said, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main, main facts. And Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Daniel sees four beasts rise out of a tumultuous and chaotic sea. And this great sea reminds us of the opening chapter of the Bible. Uh, Do you remember how the opening verses of Genesis describe how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, uh, the um, uncreated waters, if you like, the chaotic waters, before God had done any ordering, before God had created anything or structured the earth, there was just this chaotic ocean. And that's what's being drawn to our attention in this vision, this great chaotic sea before God has brought order to it. Uh, The waters describe the world 
without guards. Chaotic, dangerous, unstable. In fact, you could say they describe our lives without God. Chaotic, dangerous, unstable. And it's out of this sea that these four beasts arise. And verse 17 tells us very clearly what these beasts are. Uh, Verse 17, an angel tells Daniel, those great beasts which are four are four kings or four kingdoms which arise out of the earth. Uh, These four beasts represent four great empires, uh, the greatest empires that mankind has created. Look at the first one in verse 4. It says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Uh, This almost certainly refers to Babylon, uh, more specifically to King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And we read earlier in the book of Daniel how Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, a wealthy king, a powerful king, the most powerful king in all the world at that time. And yet his pride was lifted too high and he was brought low. That is what's being referred to when it says his wings were plucked off and he was made to stand on two feet like a man. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. This first beast represents the mighty kingdom of Babylon, which we still speak of today. But next, Daniel sees a second beast, verse 5. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. And again, this kingdom almost certainly refers to the Medes and Persians, another great empire of history. And the bear is lopsided, uh, sitting on one side, because the Persian half of the empire was greater than the Medes. So they were a joint kingdom, but one was more prominent than the other. The Persians were more prominent than the Medes. Uh, It says it's chewing three ribs in its mouth, and they most likely represent three smaller kingdoms conquered by the Medes and Persians. That's the second beast, like a bear. But Daniel continues to look, and in verse 6 he sees a third beast. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This most likely refers to Alexander the Great, perhaps the greatest king in terms of human accomplishment uh, that this world has ever seen. He swept across Asia like a, a leopard streaking after its prey, and he won remarkable victories in an incredibly short period of time. Uh, he only stopped when he reached India because his army had had enough. Uh, they couldn't keep up with Alexander, and they wanted to go back home, so he reluctantly had to lead them back. The story goes, actually, that Julius Caesar, a famous Roman uh, emperor, uh, once read of the story of Alexander the Great, and the story goes he wept. And 
When asked why he was weeping, he responded, Alexander, at 33 years old, was already the king of so many peoples, and yet I, at the same age, have achieved nothing. Well, I'm sure we all feel so sorry for Julius Caesar, but that's why he wept, because he felt he had achieved nothing in comparison to Alexander, as I say, one of the most greatest generals of history. But Daniel keeps looking. Oh, and by the way, the four, it talks about four heads and four wings. And Alexander's kingdom was split between his general when he died at uh, a very young age of his mid-30s. And his kingdom was split between his four generals. So that's probably what's referred to by the four wings and the four heads. But then Daniel sees a fourth beast, verse 7. And it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns this beast is more debatable but most commentators uh, or many at least uh, seem to think it refers to the roman empire probably one of the uh, greatest empires, perhaps the greatest empire of the ancient world, and its iron teeth uh, breaking wherever stands in its path seems very similar to the Roman army just marching across Europe and destroying everything in their path. And we see these four great empires. And Daniel continues to look, and a little horn arises from this four beast. And horns represent power and authority. So a great king arises from this fourth beast. And he's more pompous. He's more arrogant than the rest. He is speaking words against God. And that is what Daniel sees in this dream. Now, tragically... Uh, many Christians uh, get obsessed with trying to understand the precise meaning of every part of this vision. And understandably so. We're curious creatures, aren't we? We like to understand these details. But it's interesting, when Daniel asks an angel for the interpretation, uh, the angel doesn't give great detail. All he says is this, in verse 17 and 18. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. The angel doesn't describe exactly who these different beasts are. Uh, It doesn't go into great detail of all the prophetic implications of it. He just says these are four kingdoms and they will all ultimately come to nothing. It's the people of God's kingdom who will inherit a kingdom that lasts forever. What's important about this vision is that all these great and mighty nations, all these great and mighty kingdoms, however intimidating and scary and great they might look, their time is passing. It's only for 
a time. Now you notice that they're described like beasts. And the reason for that is most likely because that's what people are without God. Um, The Bible makes very clear that the animals were made from the dust and we're made from the dust. The only thing really that distinguishes us from animals is that God has bestowed dignity upon us. We are made in the image of God. So if we ignore God, we actually make ourselves no better than beasts whose time is passing. And that's the kingdoms of this world, however great and mighty they might be. But in the next part of this vision... Daniel's gaze lifts up to heaven. He's been looking at the earth, this chaotic ocean with these beasts rising out of it. But now it is, as it were, he looks up and he sees a new scene in this vision. Look at verse 9. It says, I, that's Daniel, watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. We're sort of very familiar at the moment, aren't we, with this sort of image. Uh, And Daniel sees many thrones put in place. Uh, You saw two yesterday uh, during the coronation for Charles and for Camilla. But here he sees many thrones put in place. And remember, this is a vision, so we're not to take this strictly literally. The point is the majesty and the greatness of God. God is so majestic. God is so great. God is so full of splendor. He doesn't have one throne. He has many thrones. And upon them, he is seated. Did you notice how God is described? Verse 9, And the Ancient of Days was seated. Now, obviously, God is eternal. He didn't have a beginning, and he'll never have an end. But by this title, God is seeking to explain to us uh, his wisdom and his might. Um, I can't wrap my head around eternity. I'm sure you can't either. What does it mean for God to have always existed and to never And to never end, I can't wrap my little brain around that. But what God is saying is, think of the oldest person you know. Think of the oldest and wisest person you know. God is older and wiser than that person. Uh, He is the ancient of days. His ages, his age is beyond number. That's why it describes his a garment as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Sadly, in our society, we tend to despise grey hair, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible says we should honour grey hair, and God himself, if you like, honours grey hair by describing the hair of his head as being like pure wool. 
Again, teaching us the wisdom possessed by God. Sadly, earthly kings are not always wise, no matter how grey their head might be. But God is. His wisdom exceeds the wisest king. Uh, More than that, his kingdom is forever. These kingdoms come and they go. They're replaced by greater and mightier kingdoms. But God's kingdom remains forever. Did you notice what it said at the end? Verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. God sits in judgment over these kingdoms. They may think they're great. Uh, The kings of this world might think they're the greatest thing. But God says, no, you are under me. The court is seated and they must answer to him. That's what happens to this pompous king mentioned in verse 8. Look at verse 11. It says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Daniel's telling us, God is telling us that all these kingdoms, they're just a flash in the pen, in the pan. They abide for a time, they exist for a while, but then they're gone. Alexander the Great, it's a great example, conquered most of the known world of that time. He must have thought he was invincible, and yet he died at, I think it was 33 years old his time came to an end like that his time was in God's hands and that's what we're being taught here do not fear mere human rulers they have to answer to a greater king they are ultimately just like beasts of the field in comparison to God. But the vision doesn't end there. The vision continues. Because you might wonder, well, where does that leave this world? Uh, are, all, are all kings of the world just like beasts in opposition to God? Uh, where will this world end? Well, This vision says that not all kings are like that. All kings do not need to be like that. And God has chosen a king from among men who does not ignore him, who doesn't live as though God doesn't exist, who doesn't speak pompous words, but lives in harmony with God. Now look at verse 13 as the vision continues. Daniel writes, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Another king, as it were, rises up. But he doesn't rise from the chaotic ocean. He rises, as it were, in heaven. And yet, he's described as one like the Son of Man. He's not a mere beast. He is a man. Someone made in the image of God. Someone worthy of the kingdom. Someone living in harmony with God. And he stands before the Ancient of Days. And you might call this uh, the greatest coronation scene. As this son of man is given a kingdom. Uh, We saw yesterday, didn't we, of King Charles being given the orb and the scepter and the crown. And being given the authority of uh, this nation. But this king is given dominion and the glory of the whole world. And not just for a time, for as long as he might live. But for all eternity, an everlasting kingdom. This is the king whom God has chosen. Now, in this vision, we're not told his name. In this vision, we're not told who he is. But later on, in the New Testament, he is given a name. We're told who he is. In the New Testament, we're told he is Jesus Christ the only human king to have come from heaven to this world, chosen by God, who is in fact God himself in human form, and he is worthy of the kingdom. And every human king ought to be like him to some extent. I was was reasonably encouraged um, yesterday watching the coronation to see Uh, how many aspects of our monarchy have been shaped by so much of what God's word says. I don't know if you picked up when um, King Charles had to read those words towards the beginning, and he said, uh, I am here not to be served, but to serve. Words taken, of course, from Christ himself, who said he came into this world not to be served, but to serve. And in almost every part of that coronation, it was emphasized that the king stands below God. He is there to serve God, who is the king of kings and lord of lords. And Christ himself said that, didn't he? He says, I've come to do my father's will. That's what's being pictured here in these verses. God's chosen king coming to the ancient of days and being given a kingdom that lasts forever. And Here we see the worthiness of Christ, God's chosen king. Yesterday we were called, weren't we, to uh, pledge allegiance to King Charles III. And whether you did verbally or not, uh, we do owe King Charles allegiance. But not forever, just for a time. Chiefly, we we owe our allegiance to King Jesus, who is king forever and ever. I was tempted to pick uh, the hymn, 
Uh, this morning, I vow to thee, my country, but I'm not very keen on making vows, especially not to anyone but God. Uh, it's a risky thing to do. Uh, but I was tempted to pick it because I like the second verse of that hymn. The first verse speaks of our allegiance to our country, that hymn in particular, the United Kingdom, and our allegiance to king and country. But the second verse speaks of a different kingdom. Uh, It reads this. It says, And there's another country I've heard of long ago, most dear to them that love her, most great to them that know. We may not count her armies, we may not see her king. Her fortress is a faithful heart, her pride is suffering. And soul by soul and silently, her shining bounds increase. And her ways are ways of gentleness, and all her paths are peace. The hymn speaks of a greater kingdom than the kingdom of the United Kingdom. Uh, This kingdom will pass away. It will not last forever. King Charles will one day die, and a new king will come in his place, if God wills. But there's another kingdom, another country which is eternal. And we must not ignore that kingdom, Christ's kingdom. That's exactly what this passage says. Did you notice what it said in verses 17 and 18? It says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever even forever and ever. Can I ask you this morning, uh, are you a member of that kingdom? Are you part of God's eternal kingdom? Do you pledge your allegiance to King Jesus, God's chosen king? Because ultimately, that is all that really matters. Our lives on this earth are fleeting. They will come to an end one day. But if your trust is in Christ, if your allegiance is with him, then even though you die, you will live forever in the kingdom which God gives to all who trust in Christ. So as you enjoy uh, this bank holiday weekend, I trust you will enjoy it, uh, do not forget the greatest king, the king of kings, King Jesus, who King Charles ought to be just merely a feeble picture of. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn which is in our service sheets. And I chose this hymn because it reminds us of that vision of God as the ancient of days. So it's in the first page of your service sheet. Though nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the ancient of days. Now we don't have a pianist to play this one, so the music will come on the speakers. And the music's provided by Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, so we can join in as they sing this hymn, Though the Nations Rage, Kingdoms Rise and Fall. It'll probably be easiest that as soon as we hear the music, we stand uh, as soon as we hear the music. So, uh, thank you, Andy. Mm-hmm.